Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics, with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Mark, great to be with you again on another episode of Informed Dissent, now available on Apple Podcasts and all the usual places that you can listen to podcasts. We got a super cool guest uh, tonight who is wide-ranging in his knowledge and is super funny, and uh, I think we're going to have a lot of fun talking to him, and that's Patrick Coffin. Patrick has his own podcast, and the Coffin Nation, and I got to meet some of his uh, rabid fans when we went out to dinner several months back at Basilico's. So, Patrick, welcome to Informed Descent. Great to be with you. Thank you, doctors. It's good to be here. I, I should mention my bio should say board certified ex-Canadian, but we'll just maintain a silence and just <laughs> keep, go, roll, roll forward. Yes. Well, our, our audience may discover that if you say A or come up with some moose joke along the way. I don't, I don't get that. <laughs> no, I, I can't. So I tell was, us about... Well, I was born and raised in Nova Scotia on the East Coast, so uh, I, I never really grew up saying A, um, and I've never seen a moose uh, ever. But once in a while, my Canadianness does come out in, in things like uh, the word out. I'll go, did I just say out? Uh, or did I just say process? <laughs> a boot? Is it on the schedule? <laughs> but uh, a, has, a, a never really uh, landed on me. And I've been in California since 1994. So, yeah. Do they still play hockey up in Canada? Oh, yes. Canadian boys can skate before they can walk to this day. That was the case with me. I played uh-huh. 10 years of well, competitive. They haven't won a Stanley Cup in, I don't know, some 10 years or something. Yes, yeah, see, I... we're getting off to a bad start. <laughs> <laughs> So, Patrick, I've known you for a while. We've had a lot of fun together, and uh, I, I have come to learn that in addition to your wide-ranging interviews that you do, I've listened to some crazy interviews that you've done from people like Milo Yiannopoulos mm-hmm. uh, to Catholic bishops uh, to physicians and movie stars and everything in between. Your breadth of knowledge is quite impressive. Uh, but in addition to your interviewing skills, you also have another skill— uh, that is pretty impressive, actually. You want to tell our audience about that? Uh, when I was about 14 years old, uh, our family had a trailer in the summertime next to a golf course in beautiful Nova Scotia. And there was this old French-Canadian gentleman, and he would uh, set up a card table around the fire, and he would do these jaw-droppingly uh, inc- small, you know, simple coins and ca- card effects. And my 14-year-old self, was, my jaw was on the ground. I thought, if I could produce the kind of wonder in people that this guy is doing to me now, uh, that would be so fun. So I, I found that I had a facility for, uh, for misdirection, audience management, and I, I didn't really, I, I didn't start off wanting to be a professional magician, but which I ended up being. I do part-time professional shows. But uh, that was it. I was 14, and uh, I do some mentalism, mostly close-up stuff. But uh, the only thing I love more than than uh, fooling is being fooled. So I never want to know how. It, I never want to know the mechanics of it. So uh, yeah. So that's that. Yeah, I do close up uh, magic and mentalism. That's great. Yeah, and you've uh, you've shown me a few tricks that are very very impressive. Actually, very impressive. One I was able to figure out, but most of them I can't figure out. The 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 cards in the wallet trick was a uh, was a pretty incredible trick that you showed us. Now. Mm-hmm. When you knew you were coming on, and maybe you didn't realize that this was going to be just audio and not video, 
you made a comment that, well, just bring a deck of cards and I can still do a trick for your mm-hmm. audience. I don't know how you're going to do that, but at some point we can give that a go. Yeah, it's really fun. There's so few uh, card effects that can be done uh, where the, the magician's not even in the room, either on radio or by television uh, or by phone even. Uh, so this is a very simple effect, and it's based on a skill I've developed in being able to, d- to pick up small tells in people's voices when they're hiding something. <laughs> now, I know Dr. McDonald's laughing now because he never deals with people who might not be telling the full truth. <laughs> but um, So you, 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 you have a deck there, Dr. Barkey? I do, okay, yeah. I've been shuffling it ever since you oh, came fantastic. on. Um, when, uh, here's a little uh, quick tip. If a magician says, would you like to shuffle the cards, you can, you can say no because you know that the, the order of the deck doesn't matter. But I'm glad you've been diligent and <laughs> taking it seriously enough to mix them up. So I can't, I'm not, I can't see the cards, obviously, and you're there, I'm here. What I want you to do is just take, take a batch from anywhere in the deck. Just let's say stop at nine. Just take nine cards out of that deck and place the deck somewhere else. Okay. Okay. Got it. And mix that, mix that nine up. Just shuffle the nine cards together. Okay, done. Okay, now hold them like a poker hand where the faces are toward you. So if there was someone in the room, only you'd be able to see the faces of the cards. Okay? Okay, done. And pick, pick one of the cards in the middle. Let's say the uh, third from the left. Just pick on that card, drill into it, get a good look at it. Okay? Got it. So you're, you're keeping, don't take it out, but keep it exactly where it is. So if you, if you okay. need to put it back in the, so it's about third from the end. So yeah. gather them together and hold them face down in your left hand. So the now, now it's the third from the top, right? Yeah. All right, we're going to uh, mix it up even one, one, one degree more by, by spelling the card. So it's the something of something. Let's just say it's the ace of diamonds. I want you to take the top card right. and the second card and the third card. That would be A-C-E. And then plunk the rest of the cards from your left hand onto the pile. And then pick them up. Just let me explain okay. to the end. And then uh, pick the whole packet up again and put down two cards, O, F, take the rest of the cards, plunk them down, and then do the suit. So H-E-A-R-T-S, and then add the, <clears throat> the left onto the right. Is that click? Is that okay, remember, I'm a doctor, not an engineer, so I got the three original cards. Okay, the three original <laughs> cards, have to put them on top of the, of the other six. Okay, so you're dealing with a, a packet of nine cards, not three. Right. Yep, got right. it. So the, the card you're thinking is still where it was, right? Yes. Okay. Do it quietly so I can't hear the click of the cards on the table. But start with the with the top card. If it's if it's diamonds, it's going to be D I A M O N D S. If it's clubs, C L U B S. So with each letter of the suit, uh, actually, it would be the number of the card. So either ace through king, whatever the card is. So the top card is the first letter of the number. The second from the top is the second letter of the number, and so on. Tell me when you've yeah. spelled the number yeah. of your card out. It's going to be ace through king. Okay? So you want me to lay out all the cards? Yeah, single file, single pile. So not, not in a row, in one pile. In one pile. Yeah. So when you're finished laying the cards down that correspond to the how what the number is spelt, take the rest of the cards, which should be in your left hand, plunk them on top of the pile <laughs> on the table. Let me know when you're done. 
Got it. Okay, start again, pick up the pile, and put the top two cards down to indicate of. So O, F. Got it? Okay. And add the rest from the left to the right, down onto the table again. And we're okay. getting to the end. Now just spell out the suit. So D-I-A-M-O-N-D-S or H-E-A-R-T-S, whatever the suit is of the card you're thinking of now. Good. Okay. And there should be some remaining, maybe not. Just plunk them from the left onto the right. So now you've got a pile face-down cards, right? Okay. Yeah. Pick them up again and hold them close to the vest so only you can see the faces. I can't. No one else in the room could if there was someone in the room. Okay? You got them? You're looking yeah. at them now? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I want you to start at the left. Probably easier to just gather them together in the same order and put them face down. And I want you to call them out one by one. And just when you come to the card you're thinking of, be as super casual as you can. Don't don't let on. Don't let your voice hitch. Don't go, And <laughs> just say it smooth as glass and make it sound like all the other cards. All right? So start from the first one. Go. Okay. And you want me to call yes. them out. Queen of Hearts. Two of Clubs. Seven of Diamonds. Three of Clubs. Six of Hearts. King of Clubs. Ten of Clubs. Ace of Clubs. Four of hearts. That was very tricky of you. You're actually really good at lying. Uh, forgive how that sounds. But I think, I think the card you're thinking of now that you didn't want to reveal is the six of hearts. It's, it's, is that what you it's think? quiet in here. <laughs> yeah, was I close? You're close. Hey, all right. You're just... You're being one of those audience. <laughs> Why didn't I get Dr. McDonald to do this? Darn, what's wrong with me? <laughs> so th- I'm here all night. Try the veal. <laughs> I don't need your. I don't need your. Jeff is totally stumped. I heard some pity applause out there in, in uh, podcast land. Oh, hey, look at that. How about that? So uh, <laughs> just the way we rehearsed, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. All right. My goodness. So anyways, who, who's been the most interesting <laughs> guest that you've ever interviewed? I know the one I've listened to, but who do you think? Uh, that's a little bit like which of, like what's which your of favorite my kids. Food? Yeah, which of my kids do I love the most? Um, I have a top. Th- which guest surprised you the most? That's a very good question, too. Uh, my top three would be Milo Yiannopoulos. Uh, Jordan B. Peterson, whom I've interviewed four times, and a oh, wow. Hollywood stuntman named Garrett Warren. Garrett Warren was the mo- really fascinating guy. He's uh, top to this day. He's a stunt coordinator in the film industry, and he was shot in the head and the hip by a hitman hired by his ex-partner, who's now in jail. And the bullet went through his eyeball and out the back end of his ear. And he was covered in blood and um, made the decision to forgive the guy holding the gun and the, the person he was pretty sure uh, hired the murderer. And that was his ex, woman named Claudia, as I mentioned. That case went cold for three years. And it wasn't until a random traffic stop in San Bernardino three years later uh, <laughs> disclosed 
a classic stupid criminal who, um, when the officer pulled him over, he was kind of acting nervous. So he popped the trunk and under the spare tire was found a, a Ziploc bag with a handwritten note in his ex's handwriting discussing where the murder would take place, how much money would, would change hands. So uh, they, all went, they all went to jail. But Garrett was a, an unusually interesting and impressive man. So those are my top three, just off the top of my head. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't remember listening to him, but I certainly listened to Milo, and uh, it was, um, yeah, it was. It was a crazy interview. Yeah, I did, did two with Milo. Milo's my my two longest forms. I did one called "The Unmasking of Milo Yiannopoulos" about three years ago, which was his first kind of foray back into polite society after his uh, big fall from polite society. And then I did one last year called uh, Milo's Coming In Party. Um, he's he's pretty easy to interview in a sense. He's very he's loquacious. He's funny. He's uh, his wit is rapier like sharp, and uh, he's he's a, a truth teller. He, he Milo knows where True North is. How has COVID affected uh, the Coffin Nation and the various interviews that you do? Good question. The more banning I've received from our good open minded friends in Silicon Valley the more people have fo- began to follow me, both the membership site Coffin Nation in that community and engagements to being asked to be interviewed by various hosts. Uh, ordinary people who don't consider themselves activist-minded or political uh, don't like when voices are banned or squelched. It always gets normal people's attention. Like, what? hey, I'm an adult. Why are you silencing this conversation? Why can't I weigh the evidence myself? So... If I can quote from uh, the old SNL, uh, banning be very, very good to me. Um, I recommend it. I've I've got a permanent ban from YouTube. And um, I mean, I've talked about pretty controversial things through the years. I I came out of a live radio background and a a radio show called Catholic Answers Live. And so I'm, I'm used to some, you know, white noise, pushback, objection. But I, I've never, not wasn't until I started talking about the vaccinations and the Great Reset and Klaus Schwab and Tony Fauci and all the oligarchs running the show that I began to have a uh, the crosshairs of being banned uh, on my back. And it's been an education. You have to be willing to take it and realize it's just part of being a truth teller in, in a world that is full of compromise and fear. And uh, I, any banning is at this point a badge of honor. It, I, it doesn't bother me. It did at first. It rattled me at first. I thought, well, how am I going to feed my family? But it's, it's, all, uh, it, it's all summed up in my little phrase, the devil always overplays his cards. And uh, so, yeah. Now, you, interv- you, interviewed, you interviewed one half of informed dissent, but not the other. Is there a reason for that? It's just that I hate half of them, and I wouldn't want to overthink it. <laughs> well, you were also, uh, you were the, uh, by you, I mean, Dr. Jeff Barkey, where uh, you presented at both the Truth Over Fear uh, summits, which I, which gained me my, my, my humanitarian award of <laughs> being banned by YouTube. So you've, uh, you've ventured into the orbit <laughs> as well. Uh, I loved your books. I still talk about it. I got my copy and I wish more doctors, uh, Put their actions and their and their their actions and their commitment into things like books. It's important, um, as you know. M- most physicians are fairly cowed by the treatment they get 
from boards, from their fellow physicians, and um, I admire anyone who's willing to stick their neck out and, and pay a price, and uh, both of you have in your, each, in your several ways. I got a phone call today from a physician at my local hospital who has COVID, mm-hmm. unvaccinated, uh, and didn't know who to turn to. They, he couldn't turn to the infectious disease crew at the hospital because they, quite frankly, don't know how to treat this. Their treatment is stay at home and isolate yourself. Mm-hmm. And if things get really bad, come to the hospital and we're happy to give you remdesivir. Yep. That's kind of the standard of treatment at too many centers. Yep. and. Of course, remdesivir, which is ineffective and quite toxic to people, um, is making a lot of money for the pharmaceutical company, but not doing a lot of good for anybody that's uh, subjected to its uh, its chemical um, uh, damage, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think there's more and more doctors that are patriots that are starting to speak up, that are realizing that if they don't speak up, they're going to lose their jobs. Um, That's happening at Kaiser, I know, and even private institutions as well. And I think, unfortunately, it takes a certain level of pain and personal um, injury uh, for people to realize that this is real. They can't hide from it. It's not just somebody else this is happening Mm -hmm. to, um, but it's happening to them and their friends as well. Yeah, I think you're right. It has to hurt them personally. They have to it has to enter their little uh, previously considered safe space. And I think the more doctors speak up, the more you realize that courage is a lot more contagious than COVID. Uh, I was just in Costco today, the day that we're recording this, and I was in uh, Irvine, California, and I was very uh, distressed to see that I was the only person except one um, in the whole warehouse who was not wearing a mask. I walked in and they said, oh, you need a mask. Oh, thank you. I took the mask, put it in my pocket, kept shopping. No one challenged me. No one, it's almost like, the people who are employees of, of stores, they sort of feel, I, I did my due diligence, I gave the guy a mask, and then, you know, it's up to him. But, you know, Jesus calls us sheep, and we, we naturally succumb to groupthink. Um, we, we don't want to stand up and stand out. We, we really do want to fit in, because not fitting in comes with a certain price that most people are not willing to pay. But when they see other people of like-minded actually doing something about it, not just complaining, but literally not complying, it has a an inc- literally an encouraging effect. And we don't need half of the population. We don't need a third. We need f- less than 10% to turn this around. And it just comes with saying the simple word, no. I'm not getting injected. Um, obviously, the vaccines don't work. Obviously, we're going to be boosted to death until we collectively say uh, enough is enough. Um, you look at even one little bit of evidence. I like to live my life like a juror, looking at evidence, weighing it, looking at it critically. And the the grand total of athletes and officials who've keeled over during soccer matches, just to, just to take one element of sports, is zero. But more and more compilations roll in each week of, of athletes at the peak of their career, fine-tuned athletes, keeling over after their second jab. And then there's a mad dash to refuse or deny any kind of causal connection between their their vaccine and their their injury. And so that's the kind of evidence I think gets people's attention. It certainly has bolstered my own commitment to not uh, to not participate. I just read that the NFL is canceling the rest of the season due to COVID. NFL, is that right? Sorry, NHL. The NHL? 
The NHL just uh, released a statement that they're considering banning the rest of the season because of the COVID outbreak. I can't help but think that that is in some way tied to the leader of the police state known as Canada. Justin Trudeau has gone on record as an ardent admirer of the Chinese Communist Party. So much of the Canadian, the the, uh, the business of hockey, the National Hockey League, is centered in Toronto, Montreal, and, and other cities. And uh, Trudeau is another example of the devil overplaying his card. All his draconian uh, uh, measures, they're, they're thug police state um, actions, and they're not about health. They're about controlling the populace, keeping them anxious, keeping them docile, and corralling them. The, the, the camps that we see in Australia, I know you've spoken with Monica Smith, they're also built in Canada. They're ready to roll out. Uh, there's a, a reporter in Canada named David Menzies who was roughed up, thrown against a, a cold wooden uh, wall on the streets of Toronto a couple of days ago, just for standing there waiting for Trudeau to come out of a car to ask him a question. But like all dictators, he doesn't want any tough questions. He wants a stenographer, which is the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. So I can't help but think that because so much of the business of the NHL resides in Canada, Canada, that that's influenced by Canadian politics. That's that's my guess. Pretty depressing. I mean, I've got friends in Canada who love uh, American football and basketball. And when you when you're watching a match in Florida or Texas, and there's you know thirty eight thousand people, and there's there. They're sitting in uh, airline proximity with no masks, screaming, hollering, smiling. It's got to cause some cognitive dissonance about why their own country's locked down like a gulag. You you read quite quite widely. When we spoke last, uh, you mentioned half a dozen book titles. I actually sent one uh, to my home that you recommended. It's sitting on my on my table to be mm-hmm. to be opened. And a lot of your ideas come from a, a wide breadth of of self education. But you also interview a lot of people, and you listed a few of those uh, earlier while we're we're speaking on this mm-hmm. podcast. Have any of the people that you've interviewed changed the way that you think, in the way that your mind is changed by uh, reading and uh, learning through more formal education? That's a good question. I don't want to give you a glib answer. Um, the answer is yes, it has sometimes. I'll, I'll start an interview thinking I know where someone's take is going to lie or the, the direction they're going to take in the, in the conversation. And I, I only, I, I do, I call it um, 20% human prep, 80% just leave it up to the Holy Spirit about how this is going to go down. I, I don't like interviews per se. Um, I, I've spent a lot of time watching the masters of, of interviewing like Jack Parr. His disciple, former writer for Jack Parr was Dick Cavett. I've, I mean, I've just, I grew up watching late night television and they're, if you watch them today, they're really fascinating. There's no quick edits. Um, uh, there's a interview with Marlon Brando, although he seems clinically insane, uh, with Dick Cavett. It's like a seven minute shot of Brando just kind of wistfully looking and thinking. There was no rush. There was no Jay Leno, uh, Conan O'Brien uh, kind of frenetic editing going on with the, the way that the show looks. It's a, a conversation, and that's what I like having. I've always been curious about everything. I've always wanted to know everything about everything. Um, I have great gaps in my skills, terrible. I was always awful at things. And anything to do with a, a mathematical theorem that didn't have an immediate concrete 
application to me. So I was thrilled to learn as an adult that algebra actually doesn't exist. So that was that's been good. Um, but I, uh, to your question about someone who changed my mind or changed my my frame of thinking, first name that comes to mind is someone I'm now doing a, a written interview. His health is not good now, but he's a very courageous, manly, retired bishop. He's the first Catholic bishop of Tallahassee, Florida, and he's now the retired bishop of Corpus Christi, Texas. Uh, his name is Bishop Rene Henry Gracida. And Bishop Gracida uh, was a tail gunner in World War II. He did 31 bombing raids over Germany as a tail gunner for the United States. And if when I was thinking what that must have been like, if I got a phone call from my superior officer and I was told I was going to do one bombing raid over enemy territory, I would probably immediately go into semi-fetal and rock back and forth saying, Mommy, Mommy. This man did 31. Um, he's 97 years old, I think, now. And uh, Bishop Gracida's sweep of the last 50 years uh, of, of the Catholic Church and his frank assessment of corruption therein has been very inspiring to me. Um, I've never really interacted with someone, frankly, that old, who has that long a view of of church and society and how U.S. culture has changed in the last 50 years. So that was a, that's a good example of someone who's I figured would be maybe on the dry side, maybe kind of boring, um, but very uh, alive, uh, vivacious, uh, lighthearted, suffered a lot, but has impressed me by his, his faith and his courage. And you can determine all of that through the written exchange? I Well, we'll see. I did an interview with him. It's called Retired Bishop uh, Speaks His Mind. That was uh, a couple of years ago. I'm just now putting the finishing touches on an interview that I'm doing with him on a very controversial third rail topic. And it's a topic I've been ruminating on for at least five years and I've been waiting for more people to provide additional evidence to verify or contradict what my thesis is. And that is the, the um, abdication of Pope Benedict XVI that was read by him on February 11, 2013, may actually be invalid. He, and there's evidence coming more and more with each passing month that uh, the real sitting Pope of the Catholic Church may well be Pope Benedict XVI. The church has had 37 antipopes in history, and uh, if you read the, the 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 people that Francis has allied himself with, the globalists, the zero population growth people, the Lady Lynn de Rothschild uh, crowd, George Soros, the C- he literally invited the CEOs of Moderna and Pfizer to a Vatican conference, which providentially coincided with our most recent truth over fear summit last um, may this is not in any way analogous to what previous popes have done if you look at the number of uh the enemies that john paul ii gained including communists behind the the iron curtain that almost certainly were the puppet masters behind his assassination attempt they're they're diametric opposite to francis and um bishop gracida has written an open letter to the cardinal saying in canon law, you men are the ones that can sort this out. I can't, journalists can't, canon lawyers can't. And um, he's sort of like a latter-day Saint Athanasius, who was a, a very brave bishop in the early church. And um, 
we'll see. I, I, I told him that, you know, it's, it's hard to, to give a coherent answer when you've got a, a two paragraph minimum um, uh, character limit, so to speak. But I, I, I think, I think it's going to be a very interesting thing. It's the first written interview I've ever done. And uh, it's going to be on patrickcoffin.media when it when it airs. So, this is just a, I don't have moral certainty about this, but it's a conver- it's a conversation I'm ardently interested in having, because um, Francis is sort of Pope Francis of the left, and it's very dizzying and disorienting for Catholics who love Jesus, who read Scripture, who want to become saints, to realize that uh, the the man wearing white in Rome is not of the same cast of mind spirit and and worldview uh, of the as as were the previous 266 popes that's a long-winded answer but um uh, we'll see how it goes he's uh, he writes like a dream so i think it's going to be a good interview sounds a lot more complex than chemtrails um i don't know if you read the history of the patents of chemtrails uh <laughs> i don't know <laughs> One thing, uh, just a quick note on on COVID nineteen as a as a red pill dispensary. Um, this has really got me interested in what other previous grand narratives that they've been selling us twenty four seven that also may not be true. So, uh, I, such as oh, let's start that list with the, the moon uh, landing. M- moon landing. <laughs> That's way yeah, moon landing. That. Uh, that's not it. Now I feel a little bit ambushed because the moon landing takes a way more time <laughs> to unpack why anyone in the right mind would have any doubts that the, uh, the uh, lunar missions from 69 to 72 ever happened. But that would be one of them. Uh, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald as the lone gun nut crazy guy who sh- JFK, JFK assassination. assassination, the murder of 9-11. 9-11, the murder of Dorothy Kilgallen, <laughs> the sinking of the, the, the attack on the USS Liberty, the Gulf of Tonkin incident that didn't happen, but which greenlit the greatest, well, I should say greatest, the most horrific bombing sortie uh, campaign in history in Laos and Cambodia, uh, Timothy McVeigh. Um, regarding 9-11, just start that list with Building 7. Building 7 was part of the World Trade Center complex that was hit by a grand total of zero aircraft, and yet it fell pancake flat with no resistance just after 5 p.m. on 9-11. So, you know, all... Area 51? I don't know much about Area 51. Uh, <laughs> and I, I couldn't hear you, Jeff, because my, my tinfoil hat was needs a bit of adjustment. Could you repeat that? <laughs> yeah. Now, Roswell, the Area 51 may have been the studio where they filmed the, the uh, lunar missions. I don't know. But uh, but since you since you mentioned it, and now that everyone's laughing near me, <laughs> there's a uh, a pretty brilliant documentary by an Italian uh, director named Massimo Mazzucco called American Moon. So uh, I'd recommend that. It, it puts uh, a lot of objections and counter arguments all in one place. So that answered your question. In what way? What was the question again? <laughs> I, it was. It, <laughs> I've, I've always been curious when people spend a lot of time talking mm-hmm. to people, um, whether you want to call it an interview or a conversation, uh, you know, how does that drive your thinking? Does that change the way that you see the world? Uh, or is it, um, is it really just a way for you to pull out a story that is of interest to other people and then you go home and, you, you know, you don't really think twice about it other than that was kind of a cool thing to talk about. Um, I don't have an answer because I don't, I don't spend a lot of time 
having conversations with people who are people of ideas. I speak to people in my in my office mm-hmm. all day long, but they tell me their personal stories about their emotional trials and tribulations, uh, which are completely different. And, uh, you know, admittedly, sometimes change the way that I think about um, how people see the world, uh, how people interpret the world, how people use feelings to justify uh, actions and philosophies that may be irrational or paranoid or self-destructive. Mm-hmm. But I think of that more from a psychological point of view. And I, I, I'm, I'm always interested in, in seeing how people's sort of intellectual constructs might be affected or changed by uh, the people that they speak with, especially people who are, you know, esoteric, uh, not in a derogatory way, but people who are not um, common mm-hmm. Joe, you know, bishops and... Uh, um, gay activists and um, Canadian intellectuals uh, who get uh, fired from their jobs for uh, misgendering their students and then write uh, books about uh, how to live life in a better way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, uh, I asked that question because you've, you've talked to all of those people and I don't think many people have. Yeah, I, I've actually pondered this, that I, I, I'm in a privileged position, of, I'm spoiled in a way, that I have got to the chance to pick the brains of people and from such an eclectic uh, background. Um, I've always been, as at least as an adult, I think maybe we're all recovered children, but I've, I've always taken notice of the contrary voices. I've always uh, paid attention to dissenters and people who, who were not, weren't afraid to break molds, whether it's in the scientific revolution uh, realm if you read Thomas Kuhn's book uh, on scientific revolutions, very interesting. The ones that are considered pioneers are almost invariably the ones who were out-of-the-box thinkers or who dreamed up something that turns out to have an elegant simplicity to it and then you're off to the races. There's a new, a new revolution. Um, the mission of my show, the Patrick Coffin Show, is to interview what I call sages or survivors of the culture war meaning someone who has been beaten down, squelched, fired, canceled, banned in some ways that, you know, Jordan B. Peterson has, and yet who, because of that, have distilled all this wisdom that came through their feeling uh, crushed, feeling um, isolated. That has also been a grace in people's lives. I mean, for people who say, well, religion is... It's obsolete because no one likes to follow rules nowadays, and religion's all about rules. Here comes Jordan Peterson with a book called 12 Rules for Order, right? So there's something about rules that um, if you frame them as, as guardrails, as principles that will prevent you from being hurt and, and lead to human flourishing, you can see them from a different, uh, different point of view. Um, I've interviewed uh, Walt Heyer. Now, Walt is a really interesting example of sage and survivor. Uh, Walt changed his identity, believing himself to, falsely to be a woman. So he lived for about seven years as a feminine identity named Laura, Laura Jensen. Uh, fake breasts, wig, changed legal name, full uh, sex change reversal surgery. Ended up becoming an alcoholic, survived two suicide attempts. And he had a really profound encounter with Christ and and the sanity he was always seeking. And he has now uh, recovered his, his original masculine identity, speaks uh, with unusual articulation and 
some sorrow, but very compassionate to people who have, who have regretted their sex change operations. So Walt, I admire very much for his willingness to not just, you know, change his mind, but to put himself out there as someone who is both a beacon for someone who might change their mind if they go through this uh, mutilation procedure, um, but also a truth teller. Um, I'm just thinking of so many other people. Uh, I love music. Uh, I was in music theater full time for for three years. My daughters sing very, very well. And I got to interview Morton Lauridsen, the greatest choral composer alive. Uh, M-O-R-T-E-N-L-A-U-R-I-D-S-E-N. He wrote a piece. You can maybe put just put this one piece in your show notes and you'll get thank yous from people. It's called O Magnum Mysterium by Morton Lauridsen. One of those pieces of music that grabs you by the lapel and wrings tears out of you. You can't control it. <laughs> and uh, so that was just great. And that my interview with Mr. Lauritsen was, why does m- music move us so? So, Repeat yeah. the title o of that Manu once again. Mysterium. So one word, O, just the word O. It's an exclamation. Manum is M-A-G-N-U-M. Mysterium is M-Y-S-T-E-R-I-U-M. And it's a setting in Latin about Christmas. It's, it's told from the point of view of the animals in the nativity scene who are marveling that they get to witness the incarnation. They're there with the baby Jesus and, and Joseph and, uh, and Mary. It's just so exquisitely, uh, you, you almost can't, even Omanya Mysterium played by a, a quartet of kazoos would still be beautiful. <laughs> so... Uh, for the non-Latin speakers in the audience, uh, that translates as "O Magnum Mysterious." Yes, yeah, or "O, o Great Mystery." <laughs> sounds like it sounds like a Swedish <laughs> hockey player, <laughs> or a really big bottle yeah. of wine whose label or, has fallen off, and we can't figure out Irish who made guy. it. O, who's O Magnum? <laughs> yeah. So that's that's a, a thumbnail. I mean, I've I've done third uh, two hundred and eighty shows on my own, not including the thousands of shows before that, where I I interviewed. Uh, Kevin Costner was my my first out of body experience interviewing him. It was when his uh, movie came out called Black or White, and hearing that voice, um, he mentioned he said, "Yeah, it's a good good question, Patrick." Just hearing those words from the guy who gave us you know so many uh, movies that are the backdrop to my childhood that was a, a little bit surreal. Um, Waterworld, <laughs> Ruiner. <laughs> JFK field who, field of dreams. Who, who would you like to interview that Alice you haven't Cooper. yet? Yep, really, he's on my bucket list. <laughs> yeah, Alice Cooper is the original parental button pusher, the almost single handed creator of rock spectacle, as they say in French, um, larger than life theater. Um, he's got longevity. His first album, I think, Pretties for You, came out in 1969. He was friends with all the greats. And he just comes across like such a, a prince of a guy, uh, unabashed Christian, um, does regular Bible study. He feeds homeless people food when he can, scratch golfer, never cheated on his wife, uh, family man, and uh, just a just a remarkable artist and uh, an American. So that's that's one on my bucket list. I think our producer might be able to put you in touch with him. Oh, that's well, right. Hope springs eternal. The, the famous the famous Beth Moranville has a uh, a wide net of contacts. Great, awesome. <laughs> so, what does twenty twenty two look 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 for look like for Patrick Coffin? 
I am a pessimistic optimist. Uh, I believe that things will work out in the end, but they'll work out in the worst possible way. Uh, <laughs> Sounds yeah, like me. <laughs> I, uh, I try not to have the Pollyanna glasses. Um, I, I think most people claim that they're realists and not, not optimists. Uh, because I'm a Christian, I, I have a, a deep conviction that Logos is always rising, that God's action in history is ever bringing greater goods out of evils, even evils that seem insurmountable and super dark. Um, I, I do think that the oligarchs who are running the COVID show are going to continue to squeeze this lemon until enough patriots in every country say the magic word, no. And I'm never going to, Mark and I talked about this um, a few weeks back, I'm, I'm not here to convert people who quaff the Kool-Aid. It's literally a waste of time. And I don't really need to be talking with people who are informed and, and red-pilled and, and have gotten out of the normie mindset. I'm going after the mushy middle. I want to reach people who have some doubts, but they want data, they want some evidence, and they want a way forward that doesn't involve hysteria or despair. So I, I consider it my mission to just tell the truth as I see it. I might be wrong about some things, but I'll never strategize to deceive anyone. Um, I don't have a big on switch. Oh, this is Patrick on the air. This is Patrick off the air. I I'm, I want to have genuine conversations because I'm I'm always curious what the other side really thinks. Um, my goal would would be to have a show where I, I just do nothing but talk about my my ideological opponents. That would be really fun. Kind of like what what Bill what Bill Maher thinks politically correct used to be talk about the most ironic show name in history just full of, full of political correctness but um often the people that we call our ideological foes are the product of 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 our side no matter which side you're on my side so to speak demonizing someone else a good example of this is i stormed uh, i i what's the word i gate crashed a love fest for the probably the highest profile atheist in the world, Dr. Richard Dawkins. He was coming to San Diego to speak and there's 2,000 some humanist atheists there and he, they just adored him like Elvis. It was a little bit strange, the cult of personality. And uh, because I'm, I'm frightened of microphones and I'm quite shy, I forced myself to get to the microphone and I got to ask him <laughs> the first question. And it was about why, why won't he come on a show like mine and just have a clash of ideas? He goes to uh, events like this where he can show uh, his slideshow and everybody laughs and he makes fun of Christians and theists generally, but he will not get into the ring with someone who can punch back with ideas he may have never thought of before. He's an evolutionary biologist. He's not a philosopher. And Dawkins has a policy of only, only debating what he calls churchmen. Well, sorry, Dr. Dawkins, churchmen are often not trained in philosophy. They don't have the philosophy of science uh, at their fingertips. That's not why they went into the apostolate. So I, I just, I, I mourn the divide that's rooted in fear of really hearing what the other person thinks, not, not by what the press says they think, but ask them questions in a kind of an open forum. And it, it, just if I can get back to COVID again, putting together the Truth Over Fear Summit and the upcoming movie that I'm honored to uh, produce called The Greatest Reset has been a great education 
in observing how this evil, this tyranny, all this lack of medical free of medical freedom and and the the vicious attacks that that team Fauci launch upon MDs or anyone else who strays from the party line. The people who are opposed to all this are like-minded in a way that's binary. They're not Democrats, they're not Republicans, they're not Christians, they're not Jews, they're not Muslims. They are patriots who see what is going on. A couple of examples. Vera Sharab, the final speaker at Chula Bafir, um, 90 years old, lost most of her family in the camps in Nazi Germany. Uh, Dr. Naomi Wolf, a uh, longtime, you know, icon Democrat, part of the of the, the Clinton sphere. Um, Rosa Corey, may she rest in peace, a uh, uh, married lesbian Jewish a- atheist. All these people, they still know true, true north. I still badly want to ally myself with them because with the way they articulate this uh, struggle that we're up against is different from mine, but we're all rowing in the same direction, the same basic or pattern, and I want to force multiply their voices as well. So this is not about religion. It's not about political party. It's right, wrong, good, evil. And people from all walks of life, all faiths or none can see it. Patrick? Yes. It's an honor to have you on. It Thank really is. Thank you very much. I'm still- I've been a fan of yours for a long time. Uh, you're an interesting guy. Uh, you're a great interviewer. And one of the one of the smartest guys I know for well, sure. Coming from you, that's a, that's a compliment. Thank you. I'm I'm still recovering from the way you reacted to, to my magic at the beginning, after a long pause. <laughs> well, well, anyways. <laughs> awesome, beautiful. Well, thanks for having me. Well, thank and you. Uh, th- proud that you're doing the show. I, I think your your show is the one podcast title that all podcasters are podcasters are secretly jealous of. Brilliant title. And uh, may your tribe increase and multiply. As you listen to our podcast, maybe you're thinking you've got a message you want the world to hear. Well, I'll tell you, there's a lot to consider. We are produced by The Show Must Go On, and they are big fans of Buzzsprout podcasting as a base for individual operations. If you want to find out more, click the Buzzsprout link in the show notes to find out more. You'll even get a $20 Amazon gift card after your second paid invoice, should you decide to go with podcasting and Buzzsprout. If you want to connect with our producers, use the contact page on our website at informeddissentmedia.com. You may have noticed a new link to Instacart in the show notes of this podcast today. Maybe you didn't have time, and that is the point of Instacart. Saving you time and money to do other, more important things, like spending time with family. Instacart is shopping done for you. By the way, shopping at many of your favorite stores save time for you and your family by shopping through Instacart. All your favorite stores all in one order. The online and mobile app lets you pick your products and even highlight sale items for you. The shoppers are trained to pick the very freshest produce and they'll even keep your eggs safe. And here's the best part, delivery to your door in as fast as one hour. Help out our podcast by clicking the link in the show notes when you make your next purchase. You've been listening to Informed Dissent with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics.